On the screen, I have a screenshot from the website NetNanny that provides a resource for parents with young children, and this is the day and age that we live in right now. It cites a statistic, statistic that one in 10 kids under the age of 10 have seen porn. Small children typically view pornography accidentally at home by clicking a link or mistyping a Google search. Most parents would be shocked on how pornography is just two clicks away on some of the most popular sites and apps your child may be visiting. This is our society in which researchers are witnessing a phenomena of a generation of young people whose minds are literally marinated in pornography. It's a phenomena, a culture, and uh, quite honestly, the researchers don't know the effects long-term of what this exposure will do. One organization has reported children under the age of 10 now account for 22% of online porn consumption under 18 years of, of, of age. And I want to cite some other statistics. This is from the website Fight the New Drug Porn Sites. Receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined each month. And another statistic in 2018 alone, more than 5 billion, 517 million hours of porn were consumed on the world's largest porn site. Then that's just one. The world's largest free porn site also received 33,500,000,000 site visits during 2018 alone. And this is from one researcher who says that porn consumption's consumption follows a very predictable pattern that eerily similar to drug use over time, excessive levels of pleasure chemicals cause the porn consumer's brain to develop tolerance just like the brain of a drug user. And once the porn habit is established, quitting can even lead to withdrawal symptoms similar to drugs. And in his book, Dr. Gary Wilson, and the author of the book called Your Brain on Porn, indicates that researchers are now finding that there are cognitive limitations as well as mental health concerns from long-term pornography use. And I wish that I could stand up here and say that the church of God on earth was immune to this epidemic. But we are not. And so we begin a new series of messages that will extend through this winter into the spring where we look at the science of overcoming sin. What does the Bible have to say about this? And we'll be looking at key passages that encourage us that Jesus has the ability to give us the victory over every habit. Amen? Every addiction, every sin in our lives that so easily besets us. And we're not just talking about pornography. There's substance abuse. There's all types of addictions that our society and our church family is dealing with, whether privately or publicly. We all have different things that pull and tug at us. And we want to look at this biblical concept throughout Scripture about victory 
over sin. And I pray that you're encouraged through this process because there is a science to how God works to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so I invite you this morning, I put my Bible over here, to turn with me, if you have not already, to our scripture reading. It's the second to last book of the Bible, Jude 24 and 25. There's only one chapter in Jude, so it's very easy to find, and it's right before the book of Revelation. And this will be the main theme of our study here today before we transition to another text. But I want to spend a few moments and look at the doxology of the author of Jude. Now, doxology is a liturgical word that refers to a praise a statement. And here, after talking about some challenges in the church, Jude 24 ends with a beautiful doxology, and we're familiar with it. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I want to make four simple implications of this verse before moving on. Implication number one, God has power to give you victory over every habit. Amen? The Bible says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. It didn't say God is maybe able to keep you from falling. This verse assumes God's capability. So we want to settle that from the beginning, that there is no deficiency on God's part for the addiction, for the habit, for the sin that so easily besets us. The issue is not an inability of God. Jude, said, Jude says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now, there's a popular teaching that's being disseminated today and has been for a number of years that we will be sinning until Jesus comes. The implication of that statement is that sin is more powerful than God. And that we will just live with our addictions without any power to conquer them. And I want to tell you, friends, very plainly, that is not in the Bible. Jesus is able to give us the victory over every temptation, every habit. The power is there. We're talking about a God that can speak things into existence. So Jude 24 declares God is able to keep you from falling. The capability of God is not in question. So implication number two, God has power to make you holy. Do you believe that? The second part of this verse says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, that's holy, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to take us from the depths of sin and degradation and to create in us a clean heart and make us holy. Now, it's not our holiness. It's the holiness of Jesus. But when we look at this verse, it says, in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's sanctuary language. And if you look on the screen here, where was the presence of God, the Shekinah glory? It was here. 
This is where Adam and Eve were prior to the fall. And were Adam and Eve holy? Absolutely. They were created holy in the image of God. Adam and Eve were here, and after sin, the entire human race was placed out, out here. And so the sanctuary reveals God's plan to bring us into here, into here, and Jude 24 says, into the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, the book of Hebrews indicates that the criteria for seeing God is holiness. Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, the high priest on his forehead, he wore a gold plate that had holiness to the Lord on it. And the high priest was the only one allowed in here once a year. So the criteria for seeing God face to face is holiness. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The criteria for being in the presence of God is holiness. And that's where we're going to stand one day, according to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Holiness. So God has completed the work. God will bring us all the way back here. That is the work of salvation. Now, God brings us here into the courtyard experience, and that's where he pardons us. Okay? He brings us into the holy place experience, and that is where he empowers us to keep us from falling. So the issue is sin. And the plan of salvation is how God removes sin out of our lives. He pardons us, and then he gives us power. Let's say you have an addiction. Let's say I have an addiction in my life that I'm struggling with. God pardons us for our past, and then he gives us power in the present to give us victory over that addiction in our lives. How does he do that? Now, you'll notice that in the holy place, there are three articles of furniture. You have the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden candlestick. The table of showbread, there was bread there. And the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And in this series, we'll be looking through practical ways of using the word of God to battle temptation. You notice every time that Jesus was given a temptation by Satan, he always responded with, it is written. Psalms 119 says, Wherewither shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When the word comes in, sin goes out. So these are very practical things that God has given us. We must feast on the word for power, for victory. The other thing is the altar of incense, and that represents the prayers of God's people. And I believe foundationally, one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray is you go to God and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this area in my life, and I need help. When you go to the doctor... You have to sign a consent form. Doctor won't touch you without that consent form. And in our relationship with God, he won't intervene unless we give him our consent. Some people say, oh, God already knows. Why should I give my consent? Well, it's a very powerful thing because God respects us too much and our freedom of choice. So be sure to say, Lord, I need help. 
I need permission to be treated for this issue in my life. Go to God, raw, authentic prayer, and say, Lord, I struggle with this thing. It's destroying me. I'm in a vicious cycle. I'm spiraling out of control. I love this thing, and I hate this thing. I don't know how I feel about it, but Lord, I need help. That's the ground from which God says, all right, I've just been given authorization, permission, consent, permission to treat, and God moves in. Most powerful thing that you can pray. Ask for help, feast on the Word of God, and then you have the golden candlesticks. There was something that the high priest, the priest would do every single day. They would come into the holy place with a a vessel filled with oil and they would fill the vessel with oil daily. That oil represented the Holy Spirit. And every single day, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings with Him the presence of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Bible says that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And the Bible says He wills to will and to do, He will work to will and to do of His good pleasure. We need supernatural help. And when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts, He changes our desires. And then finally, Jesus brings us into the most holy place Experience. So this is the plan of salvation, to bring us all the way back into the presence of God, according to the book of Jude. So implication number one, God has power to give you the victory over every habit. Implication number two, God has power to make you holy. And according to Jude, the experience of victory is the experience of joy. The verse says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, many times when you hear a story or I should say you hear Bible passages or a sermon about victory, there are feelings of anxiety that come up, of inadequacy, of fear, of not measuring up. But the Bible indicates that the experience of holiness, that the experience of joy is is the experience of joy. When, When we are falling into these habits and addictions over and over again, how do you feel? It's not a joy-filled experience. But the experience that God gives us, the experience of victory, is the experience of joy. The fourth implication before moving on, if you want victory over sin, don't focus on the sin, focus on him. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now, many times there are instances where you hear a sermon on victory and the focus becomes very self-centered on my ability or inability, but the book of Jude indicates that the source of victory is in him. So this process where God brings us back into the most holy place experience, and I love to tell the story of this woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act, and whenever I read this story, the question comes to my mind, where was the man? You know, this seems very discriminatory, but evidently this was 
a plot to trick Jesus. This woman was very well known from a, for a lifestyle of promiscuity. And when you cross-reference it, I believe that this woman was Mary Magdalene, otherwise known as Mary Magdala. And you can imagine the scene where these men catch her in the very act of adultery. They drag her through the streets, throw her before Jesus. And they say, the law says this woman should be stoned. What say you? And Jesus stoops down in the sand and starts writing. And the Bible indicates that beginning with the eldest down to the youngest, they would each go up and they saw their own sins blazoned in the sand and they each went away in silence. And the Bible indicates that Jesus and this woman were standing there alone. What was he going to say? And here are his words, and it encapsulates the gospel here in John chapter 8, verse 11. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the gospel. Now, notice that she's in the presence of Jesus. So you have the presence of Jesus that is there. This is the whole sanctuary, the presence of Jesus. Then he says, Neither do I condemn you. There you have, what is that? That's pardon. Jesus has given her pardon. And then he says, go and sin no more. That's not a command. That's a promise. With the command also contains the promise. In other words, you have power to no longer continue your lifestyle of sin. So you have pardon, power, and the presence of Jesus all encapsulated there. And there is the gospel. Now, the story of this woman is not an immediate trajectory of transformation and translation to heaven. The power is there, but there is an inability many times to depend on that power, and we have these old neural pathways that are still there. There's something unique that happens when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a victorious life. But God does not come down with a divine eraser and remove all of those neural pathways that are in your brain. I wish sometimes it worked like that. But when you're baptized, you give your heart to Jesus, and you come out the other side, those neural pathways, those, those neurons that are growing those boutons, are still there. And it is a struggle to establish new neural pathways. And the thing about this experience is, according to Luke chapter 8, verse 2, here is Mary Magdalene, who I believe is the same woman that Jesus engaged with that was caught in the very act of adultery. It says, and Ellen White in the book Desire of Ages confirms this. It says, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, according to the narrative of the desire of ages, after Jesus had this engagement with Mary Magdalene in his presence and said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. She was given power to live a victorious life that she fell back into our old habitual ways. And Jesus had to cast out 
seven demons out of her. And the book Desire of Ages indicates that this was not one instance, but seven times having to cast demons out of her. So she fell back multiple times into her old ways. Here's the book Desire of Ages, 568. Seven times she heard his rebuke of the demons that controlled her heart and mind. Is there grace through this process? Absolutely. And I want to share one of my favorite passages with you, and this is from Proverbs 24, verse 16, and it indicates, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. When a child is learning how to walk, it's not as though they just start walking and running immediately. There are foibles and falls. There's a maturity process that takes place. And I know no loving parent that will spank I mean, I believe that's abuse. Spank a child that is learning how to walk and falls flat on their face. And sometimes we attribute to God worse characteristics than we do to loving parents. Sometimes we have a picture of God, you know, when we're starting out in the Christian life, those neural pathways are there and we're struggling, we're falling, we're making mistakes. God is not up there ready to spank us because we make a mistake. Remember, it's not the track record. It's the trend of the life. And that's the the experience. So the difference between a righteous man and an unrighteous man is that an unrighteous man falls once and never gets back up. A righteous man falls down and gets back up. Falls down and gets back up. And this is from Dr. Chalmers. He's a, uh, a neuroscientist. He said, brain scientists have discovered that any thought or action that is often repeated is actually building these little boutons on the ends of certain nerve fibers that becomes easier to repeat the same thought or action each time. Established habits make literal pathways, frequent repetition of the same thought, uh, this is typo, feeling or action, where a deeper groove, just as repeatedly walking over a lawn, will wear a deep path on the sod. And he ends it by saying, so when you fall, the thing to, get, uh, the thing to do is get up and start working on the new neural pathway again. You never lose ground on that new neural pathway. Those boutons are not erased by the occasional fall. And the beauty of the way our brains work is the more that you continue by the power of God to establish those new neural pathways and new habits that, that the old habits start to, start to not be as deep and, and grooved in your brain and the new neural pathways start to develop. And the beauty of the Christian experience is that the more you walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, it gets easier. Praise the Lord. It gets easier to, to form those new habits and those new tendencies. And by the grace of God, I can say in my Christian experience, and I believe that you can too, do you have things in your life that you used to hate that now you love? I do. 
Do you have things in your life that you used to love that you now hate? I do. The Lord has changed us through this process of sanctification. And it's not about arriving. It's about being in the process. And so it's a continual work of victorious Christian living. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This is from Steps of Christ, page 64. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because our shortcomings and mistakes, but we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off not forsaken and rejected of God. When you make a mistake, the devil will come to you and say, you might as well give up. You're unworthy. That is the time to kneel down wherever you're at. Well, you don't even have to kneel. You pray to God and say, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. I want to get back up and continue in this experience. And there's two powerful verses that are there in our Christian experience. And I pray that these are of encouragement and hope to you. The first one is 1 John 1.9. I pray that you have this marked in your Bible. And there are times I kneel and I say, I hope it's still there. Amen? First John 1 John 1.9, open it up. Praise God, it's still there. And I read it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you kneel down and you read it and you claim it and you say, Lord, I made a mistake. I want to get back up. I claim your forgiveness. And the beauty about this promise is that this is always a yes prayer and it's always immediate. Just like that. You can get up from your knees regardless of the way that you feel and believe that you are forgiven. Amen? You don't have to be out in purgatory on penance. God doesn't do that. He forgives you immediately. 1 John 1, 9, it's always there in your Christian experience. You make a mistake, kneel down, open it up and say, Lord, thank you that it's still there and claim his promise and get back up. Righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And the other one is power, Jude 24, as we reflected on. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And these two are always there in our Christian experience. Forgiveness for when we fall and power to keep us from falling. Now, as we continue through this series, we'll be going through some practical verses of how the battle of temptation works and how there is a science to how God has packaged his power. And I pray that it's a blessing to you as it has been to me. But I want to end this message with this quote from the book Steps to Christ. And I've quoted it before. I want to quote it again because this is so foundational in our Christian experience. This is page 47. Many are inquiring, how am I to surrender myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of stand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. How many of you have ever felt like that? 
I mean, this is, this is the reality of the Christian experience. Out of control. A slave to the habits of our life. We just fall in it over and over again. And you feel like the man of Romans 7. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I mean, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And that's the experience. I mean, this is what she's describing here on page 47. And she says this very powerful principle that is so foundational in our Christian experience. What you need to understand is the true force of the what? Of the will. The, this is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Now, she's not talking about willpower where you just pick yourself up by your, by your own bootstraps and get up. She's talking about the power of choice, the power of will. God has given it to us. Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change the heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Now, you're like, David, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, this is very raw and authentic. How do you give your will to God? I'll tell you what my prayers go like. I say, Lord, this thing is destroying me. I can't do this anymore. I give you my will. That's where it is. I give you my will. That is the area that God has given you control of. You can't control any other part of your life, your habits, the addictions, all of those other things. And so many times we go to the symptoms. But here it is, the central part of what she's talking about in page 47. This is the will. And it's not willpower. It's basically saying, Lord, I give this to you. It's choice. Saying, Lord, I want your intervention in my life in every area of my life. And when you do this, every single day, you say, Lord, I give you my will. God says, all right. I have full authorization. I have full consent to now move in your life. I pray that you pray this every day. Amen? Go to Him with that area of your life. That compartment, maybe that you and God only knows. Maybe there's only a few people that know. Maybe there's many people that know. It doesn't matter. That area of your life that is out of control. And you say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I give you my will. The most powerful prayer that you can pray is to give God your consent. This is spiritual warfare, friends. There's not a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a self-help book in the world that can give you the victory. We need supernatural assistance for a very spiritual problem that we all face. How many of you want to say, Lord, I give you my will? Amen? Is that your prayer today? Father in heaven, you've seen these hands. Lord, And we need your help. We are broken. We are sinful. 
But we thank you that we serve a God that is more powerful than any sin and any addiction. And Lord, we thank you for this beauty of pardon and power. And that these are available to us throughout our Christian experience. And Lord, today we want to choose to give you our will. Just between us and you, you know our hearts, you know our struggles. And we pray today that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.